All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton standing in the confessional corner this week as we wind down the season of Easter, having celebrated the seventh Sunday of Easter yesterday, basking in the post-ascension time of the church, getting ready for Pentecost. We are also wrapping up the small catechism this week. And this is that part that I will admit that oftentimes I don't necessarily get into as much as I should with my catechumens. I strictly go with the first section with the six chief parts as we have covered over these last few months. But sections two through four have the daily prayers, the table of duties, and the Christian questions and their answers. And of these, probably the Christian questions and their answers are the ones that I use the most. Because as I prepare them for confirmation, prepare them for receiving communion for the first time, I have them look through those questions. And we'll get to those questions here in a little bit as we read through the text of what it means to live a life in the catechism. So first of all, we have section two, the daily prayers. How the head of the family should teach his household to pray morning and evening. The morning prayer. In the morning, when you get up, make the sign of the Holy Cross and say, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Then kneeling or standing, repeat the creed and the Lord's Prayer. If you choose, you may also say this little prayer. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Then go joyfully to your work, singing a hymn like that of the Ten Commandments, or whatever your devotion may suggest. Evening Prayer In the evening, when you go to bed, make the sign of the Holy Cross and say, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Then, kneeling or standing, repeat the creed and the Lord's Prayer. If you choose, you may also add this little prayer. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day. And I pray that you would forgive me all my sins where I have done wrong, and graciously keep me this night. For into your hands I commend myself, my body, and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Then go to sleep at once and in good cheer. These prayers are very common to us. We are very familiar with them for most of us, especially if we use the services of the service of prayer and preaching or the responsive prayers where we have these times where when it is the right time, when it is morning, like when I do service of prayer and preaching on the second Sunday of the month, we end the prayers with Luther's morning prayer. If we were to do that for the Advent or midweek services, that option would be the evening prayer. And then also when I use responsive prayer, whether in a chapel setting or in a worship service, especially uh, responsive prayer to in Lent sometimes, we would make use of the evening prayer. But notice that you may say these prayers, but the primary thing is the creed and the Lord's Prayer, making sure you have those morning and evening. 
wrapping your day in the Word of God. We continue on in the prayers. How the head of of the family should teach his household to ask a blessing and return thanks. Asking a blessing. The children and members of the household shall go to the table reverently, fold their hands, and say, The eyes of all look to you, O Lord, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Psalm 145, 15-16 Then shall be said the Lord's Prayer and the following, Lord God, Heavenly Father, bless us in these your gifts which we receive from your bountiful goodness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Returning Thanks Also after eating, they shall in like manner, reverently and with folded hands, say, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Psalm 136, verses 1 and 25, and then 147, 9 through 11. Then shall be said the Lord's Prayer and the following. We thank you, Lord God, Heavenly Father, for all your benefits through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. If we take a look at these things really quickly, we notice the importance that Luther puts on prayer, and especially the Lord's Prayer. Because this is, if you follow these things to the exact, you get up in the morning, you pray the morning prayer, you ask a blessing, and you return thanks at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then the evening prayer at the end. Truly, you are saying the Lord's Prayer eight times every day. And that's not including when you say it in church on Sundays. Eight times a day, Luther encourages us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Then we can add the other little prayers that he has written or that he has come up with. But he focuses on the Lord's Prayer as we come to our lives of prayer. And as we have seen, as we looked through the Lord's Prayer, the focus that put on there by the fact that it is the prayer that our Lord has given us. We move into section three, known as the Table of Duties. Certain passages of scriptures for various holy orders and positions, admonishing them about their duties and responsibilities. To bishops, pastors, and preachers, the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. 1 Timothy 3, 2-4 He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. 1 Timothy 3, 6 He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Titus 1.9. We hear these things when we are at an installation of a pastor or the ordination of a pastor. The qualifications of what makes a man worthy enough to be a pastor, not just that he has gone to seminary and has earned an advanced degree, because he could have done all that and be a complete scoundrel and not be temperate, self-controlled. He could be violent. He could be given to drunkenness. He could be a lover of money, although I'm not exactly sure why anyone would go into the ministry if they are looking for money, because 
The ministry is not the place where you find wealthy men. We move on. What the hearers owe their pastors. The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, 14. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Galatians 6, 6-7. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work as preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. 1 Timothy 5, 17-18. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-13. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Hebrews 13, 17. So what is it that the hearers that the congregation owes the pastor? Well, not only sharing in the good things that happen in this life, not only paying his wages, but the respect that they are representatives of God, representatives of his authority. Not that they are lording it over you, but that you are able to submit to them, knowing that they are teaching you the word of God and knowing that they are already burdened because they must give a double account, not only for themselves and how they lived, but how they teach you to live as well. And if you pile on burdens on top of them, that then becomes a disadvantage to you as well, because now you are weighing your pastor down even further. And having a weighed down pastor is what leads to burnout. It's what leads to pastors leaving because they are always having to look out to see what the next little brush fire is in the congregation. So Paul tells the Thessalonians to live in peace with each other. That is of great benefit to your pastor. We move on from the church to the civil realm of civil government. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Romans 13, 1-4 Now we turn to citizens. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Matthew 22:21. It is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to govern. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Romans 13, 5-7. I urge then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. 
1 Timothy 2, 1 to 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, Titus 3, 1. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right, 1 Peter 2, 13 to 14. To husbands, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. 1 Timothy 3, 7. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Colossians 3, 19. To wives, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Ephesians 5, 22. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. 1 Peter 3, 5-6 To parents, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4 Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Ephesians 6, 1-3 To workers of all kinds, slaves obey your masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but, be, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Ephesians 6, 5-8 to employers and supervisors. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Ephesians 6, 9. To youth, young men, in the same way be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. 1 Peter 5, 5-6 To widows The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. 1 Timothy 5, 5-6 to, to everyone The commandments are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13, 9. I urge that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. 1 Timothy 2, 1. Let each his lesson learn with care, and all the household well shall fare. So far, the table of duties. And much could be said, and much has been said on these things already throughout our standing in the confessional corner. So we will move on to section four, the Christian questions and their answers prepared by Martin Luther for those who intend to go to the sacrament. This also has the asterisk that they designate Luther as their author, although they do not appear in an edition of the Catechism until 1551, after his death. After confession and instruction in the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Sacraments of Baptism and the Lord's Supper, the pastor may ask, or Christians may ask themselves, these questions. Do you believe that you are a sinner? Yes, I believe it. I am a sinner. How do you know this? From the Ten Commandments, which I have not kept. 
Are you sorry for your sins? Yes, I am sorry that I sinned against God. What have you deserved from God because of your sins? His wrath and displeasure, temporal death and eternal damnation. See Romans 6, 21 and 23. Do you hope to be saved? Yes, that is my hope. In whom then do you trust? In my dear Lord Jesus Christ. Who is Christ? The Son of God, true God and man. How many gods are there? Only one, but there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What has Christ done for you that you trust in him? He died for me and shed his blood for me on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. Did the Father also die for you? He did not. The Father is God only, as is the Holy Spirit, but the Son is both true God and true man. He died for me and shed his blood for me. How do you know this? From the Holy Gospel, from the words instituting the sacrament, and by his body and blood given me as a pledge in the sacrament. What are the words of institution? Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Do you believe, then, that the true body and blood of Christ are in the sacrament? Yes, I believe it. What convinces you to believe this? The word of Christ. Take, eat, this is my body. Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood. What should we do when we eat his body and drink his blood, and in this way receive his pledge? We should remember and proclaim his death and the shedding of his blood as he taught us. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Why should we remember and proclaim his death? First, so that we may learn to believe that no creature can make satisfaction for our sins. Only Christ, true God and man, could do that. Second, so we may learn to be horrified by our sins and to regard them as very serious. Third, so we may find joy and comfort in Christ alone and through faith in him be saved. What motivated Christ to die and make full payment for your sins? His great love for his Father and for me and other sinners, as it is written in John 14, Romans 5, Galatians 2, and Ephesians 5. Finally, why do you wish to go to the sacrament? That I may learn to believe in Christ out of great love, died for my sin, and also learn from him to love God and my neighbor. What should admonish and encourage a Christian to receive the sacrament frequently? First, both the command and the promise of Christ the Lord. Second, his own pressing need, because of which the command, encouragement, and promise are given. But what should you do if you are not aware of this need and have no hunger and thirst for the sacrament? To such a person, no better advice can be given than this. First, he should touch his body to see if he still has flesh and blood. Then he should believe what the scriptures say of it in Galatians 5 and Romans 7. Second, he should look around to see whether he is still in the world. And remember that there will be no lack of sin and trouble, as the scriptures say in John 15 to 16 and in 1 John 2 and 5. Third, he will certainly have the devil also around him, who with his lying and murdering day and night will let him have no peace within or without, as the scriptures picture him in John 8 and 16, 1 Peter 5, Ephesians 6, and 2 Timothy 2. Note, these questions and answers are no child's play but are drawn up with great earnestness of purpose by the venerable and devout Dr. Luther for both young and old. 
Let each one pay attention and consider it a serious matter. For St. Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 6, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. These questions are a wonderful tool to make sure that those who are coming to the sacrament truly believe what is happening there. And if they do not, give them resources to show how this is from the Bible, not just from our own understanding, not just from our own thinking and teaching, but from the scriptures themselves. Therefore, we go back to the scriptures once again, digging deeper into them as we do on this podcast on Thursdays. But for now, we have finished up the small catechism of Martin Luther, having finished up the large catechism last week. And I hope this stroll through Luther's catechisms has helped to strengthen you, to help you to understand, to dig deeper into what we believe, teach, confess from the scriptures so that you may be more equipped and better equipped to wrestle with the theology around you. Amen.